channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution, an economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend, Veris Sage Institute colleague and co-host, Ed Kless. And Ed, today is Free Rider Friday. Love the Free Rider Friday, Ron. Me too. And as an additional free rider, we have a guest, and he is a Verisage Institute colleague. My friend from Australia, John Chisholm, is, I think, a third-generation lawyer. It might be second-generation. He'll have to clarify me on that. But, uh, John, welcome to the Soul of Enterprise. It's great to be here, Ron and Ed. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to join Free Riding Friday. Free Rider Friday. <laughs> oh, it's our pleasure, John. It's great to have you. I know you're sitting in the law office in uh, in Chicago at the moment, but that's uh, that's awesome. Um, and uh, we want we definitely want to talk to you about what you're doing here in the states. I know you've been uh, attending some conferences and making some uh, impassioned talks, so we'll, we'll definitely chat about that. But before we get there. Why don't you give a little bit of your bio, because it's uh, pretty interesting. You've got quite a history in Australia. Well, um, I am a third-generation lawyer, actually recovering lawyer, Ron. Um, <laughs> I don't practice law anymore, although my passion and my, my business is still with, with lawyers and the, and the legal profession, mainly uh, helping them, assisting them to change um, some of the practices. I'm very proud of our profession in many ways, but boy, there is a lot of things we don't do particularly right and we can do better. So I'm much more of an innovator now. I don't actually practice law or no longer a managing partner of a a law firm. Just as a mere consultant, um, I can (laughs) see the things we should have and I should have done differently when I was, was running law firms all those years ago. Uh, yeah, you used to be the uh, partner for Middleton's and uh, a, a chartered accounting firm as well. Uh, yeah, but, I was yeah, managing ahead. partner. Sorry. And, and then I was just going to say, then you, you, left, you left mainstream law firms in 2004 and set up your own consultancy. And I, I know you're a big advocate. You're obviously a senior fellow at Verisage, which means you're you're a zealot like Ed and I on, on the whole issue of uh, the firm of the future and the knowledge economy and all the things we talk about on this show. But let me ask you, what 
what changed your mind? What changed my mind? Look, even running law firms, Ron, as partner and managing partner and chief executive of law firm and also executive chairman of accounting firm, so that was for over 25 years, and I ran fairly successful practices based around that we sell time business model, leveraging people by time by hourly rate. But I sort of figured out, very much thanks to, to you and others, that I was and my practices were selling something that my clients weren't actually buying, and that was, that was time. And they had, just had to be a, a better and different way. And I really got into the pricing, the value-based pricing in the various age when it came to how was I going to price my services as a, as a consultant. There was no way I was going to fill out timesheets. In fact, I think I became a managing partner because I was absolute rubbish at filling out timesheets. It was far <laughs> easier making everyone else in the Right, right, cracking the whip, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, as you guys know, for, for the last seven, eight, nine years, I've been pleading, conjoling, um, threatening, doing influencing firms to to make a change and move away from pricing their services other than by, by time. Well, I know you met our late colleague, Paul O'Byrne, who, folks, was a, a, also a senior fellow in the Verisage Institute, and unfortunately, we lost him in 2008 to cancer at way too young of an age, but uh, you actually met him in 2005, John, and it's really interesting because he was substituting for uh, an event that that I was supposed to deliver but couldn't had a conflict, and I suggested Paul. So who knows if if maybe I had done that event, <laughs> things might have changed completely different. <laughs> well, it, look, uh, it, it's meeting Paul was a defining moment in 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 my both both personal and professional career. He had a, a lasting impact on me as he has on on many people, including those at Verisage, as you know. Um, when I first heard Paul talk at that conference that you were meant to speak at in Sydney in 2005, I just sat there like um, I don't know, like some groupie going, "Wow, the penny dropped. This is where is this?" quite simple business model been all my life <laughs> and <laughs> best as they say is 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 history like a a lap dog i followed him around i'm asking questions uh, you can take the lawyer out of the the law firm but i still thought like a lawyer you know all the what ifs and if buts and those sorts of things but paul was very generous and and kind with his knowledge and imparting it. I went over to the to the UK, as you know, and spent time with, with his firm and his clients and his people, and I thought, wow, this can and should operate through all professional practices. Right. And John, one thing from working with you in Australia and, and going into many law firms as we had that I have just found fascinating is the billable hour and the timesheet at least in America, or traced back to 1919, 
But you guys in Australia didn't really implement them until like the late 70s, early 80s. I, I remember talking to your dad, who's also an attorney, and he was talking about how, you know, when he practiced, they didn't have timesheets. They didn't bill by the hour. So it, it's, it's much more recent in your country, and yet it's just as embedded in the DNA now, isn't it? It is, Ron, and it's very so. And my, my father, who you've met and... I'm sure I can remember back in the late 70s when I was a young young Turk partner and I think because other firms were doing it or accounting and I blame the accountants the accountant advisors told us this is the way to go we ought to um, keep timesheets and, and what have you and I remember at a we were only a small firm at the time at a partners meeting that my father was chairing and he, he asked us us young Turk partners so if we introduce timesheets what's it for again it's not for all costing files, is it? Said, no, Father, of course it's not. It's just for management so we know what everyone will do all day. Uh, that was probably the second biggest lie I told in my life um, because it didn't take long before that morphed into a, an easy, you know, look, successful, I suppose, way of pricing our services by, by time. So I do by the accountants, at least in Australia, for teaching us that, that run. Mm. But we have embraced it, um, and I'd love to say that it's um, uh, times I think it's in its death throes, and then other times, I even over here, I have to say, firms seem to be spending a lot of energy and a lot of resources just working out how they can extract and record more time rather than changing their, their business model. Right, and techno- technology's enabling it. Go, go ahead, Ed. No, that's okay. I'm just jumping in and, and asking, so did your dad retire because he had, you made him fill out a timesheet then? My father um, says to me a couple of things. He retired um, a couple of years ago at 85 years of age without ever having to fill out a timesheet, Ed. I love your dad. Proud, proud of that. I love your dad. He's um, my idol. That's awesome. He also says, Tell me again, people are paying you for you to tell them this, that um, <laughs> he practiced all his life in a, in a different way, which in the Verisage terminology we might call value billing rather than value, value pricing, but it was still about knowing value was subjective and has little or nothing to do with the, the time that we spend on a matter. It's all about the client's perception of whether they've done a good job, a bad job, and whether they've received value. And he, he understood that um, and still does at his age now. Well, that's, that, that's great. I'm, like I said, I'm, 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 he's, my, he's my idol now. I have a new idol, Ron. <laughs> John's dad never, never filled out a timesheet. I, I remember talking to his dad once at, at dinner, John, and he said that he used to weigh the file at the end of the case. <laughs> pick it up and that's kind of how he determined the price no he he he, he did but he'd also the, the way he taught it we never called it pricing because we don't we, you know it was fees or costs or some other charles dickens archaic terminology that we use in the legal profession but he he would make us young lawyers or trainees article clerks as we were at the time sit in the room while he rang a client and he would literally you know talk to the talk to the client and say, how do you think we did on this, this job? And if the client said, you know, we think you 
did fantastically and you know, he would say, well, it's good because we, you know, put our best and brightest on the case and, um, you know, hope you're sitting down, but this is what the fee is. And, you know, he'd, he would agree with the client over the phone, albeit usually after the work was done, not before, and then send out a bill. So he never got... If occasionally he spoke to a client and how did we go on the matter, and they would say things like, hmm, usually you're pretty good, but I'm still waiting for your son to return my phone call um, this time, or they're a little bit unhappy, he would, you know, lower the price. Right. So it's kind of like a service guarantee, in a way. If, always communicating with the client before he sent out a bill. That's excellent. That's excellent. Uh, so, John, we know you're in the States, and we know you've been attending some uh, some legal conferences. So, why don't you give us a little clue about what you've been up to here? Uh, yes, I'm midway through a discovery tour. And as you know, Ron, I try to get over here once or twice a year. So, I was speaking a bit briefly at a, at a conference in Nashville last week. And also, look, I'm... I'm Curious. I just love speaking with with firms and meeting with with people in firms to find out what they're doing and what they're doing well and what I can you know take take back. So it's not just certainly not just about me imparting parting my knowledge. So we had a three day conference there. Um, I to be honest, I don't know whether I should be depressed, challenged, or excited that there's so many opportunities that doesn't seem the legal profession has yet um, taken grasp of. Um, and uh, I was in New York City, and that was mainly meeting with firms. That, and I tried to meet with firms that are doing things differently, the disruptors in the, in, in, in the marketplace. So to some degree, um, and, and that's what I seek out. And now I'm in Chicago and then uh, Toronto to meet with some more innovators in inverted commas in the in the legal profession um, oh, John, we, <clears throat> we need to take a break but um i, I want to ask you we want to ask you about some of those disruptor firms that you've been meeting with and and also talk to uh talk to you about some firms in australia that are doing some very innovative things and, and get your take on that but in the meantime folks we'd like to remind you that you can email ed or myself at tsoe at verisage.com and we know many of you listen on demand and if you could give us a review on itunes that would be greatly appreciated and now we want to hear from our sponsors leading results Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You've experienced it. Marketing and selling has changed dramatically in the last few years. The search engine has completely altered the way customers buy. Your clients are now driving the process their way. At Leading Results, we know how to work with this. We don't just jump in and start doing. Together, we plan your marketing strategy. Install a website that gets results and create lead generation programs that drive sales. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more and to schedule a 30-minute conversation with us. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? 
I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. on the soul of enterprise and hey ron just a, a reminder our new website is up and available the soul of enterprise.com so we want all of you to check it out it's got great li- links to all of the shows and properties that we have including our facebook page twitter so please take a look at the new website the soul of enterprise.com uh, in addition you can listen to shows on there now so isn't that that's some fantastic stuff we're pretty uh, pretty proud of that yeah no it looks it looks great, Ed. And also, folks, you can comment there too on our show notes. So, as as long uh, uh, as well as uh, leaving us a comment on uh, Twitter at hashtag AskTSOE. Now you can place a comment right on the website as well too. Yep, and keep those cards and letters coming. Uh, so, John. Um, Let's talk about some of these disruptor firms, both both the, here in in North America and in Australia. Start with with some of the firms that you're visiting here that that you feel are disruptors. Yeah, look, there. It's interesting uh, that I suppose there's the external disruptors, the the startups that include some lawyers and law firms, but there's also those organisations that are in or providing services and products in the legal space that aren't. Um, law firms, and um, I'll, I'll get to the, that second lot in, in a minute. But there certainly are uh, law firms and startups that I've been visiting that are using technology both as uh, you know as an enabler for them to provide other products and services. Um, there is those disruptors to the certainly the legal profession of, of the online provision of, of of legal services, which is is gaining pace here in what I would call the you know, certainly the consumer market, but is also you know to take the Clayton Christensen um, theory moving up the, the 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 value chain, and it's it's quite interesting um, some of those firms and organisations that are that are doing that and are, are using uh, data. Um, you know, to really um, help their clients in the products and services, um, as you would know, Ron and Ed, uh, running law firms, I had a whole lot of data. They were called timesheets, but they told me absolutely nothing about my clients or how good a job we did or where they were going in their business, all those sorts of things. So I think traditionally the, the data that law firms have kept on their clients as not being very sophisticated and quite frankly not very useful to either the client and the firm in, in assisting them uh, in their in their business solutions. So yeah, so I've been meeting some of um, 
some of those that are doing you know things interesting certainly those and I think what is interesting those disruptors that have come into the market with a, a different business model um, are using different pricing models I mean I, I haven't met sort of a disruptor yet that is is billing by time um, so those and there's very good reasons <laughs> for that. <laughs> It's a, it's a great example, Ed, isn't it? If you change the business model, you're going to change the pricing model. Oh, right. Absolutely. And and I get, I love it that the fact that there are some people who are getting to this space who were not lawyers, don't play them on TV either, and just disrupting the space anyway. And John, do you have a particular favorite, whether it's an actual law firm or is one of these ancillary kind of outside the profession that, that you follow that you, you think is, is making the biggest impact? Look, there's there's, a, there's certainly a business model. There's a, a firm called Riverview Law, which is a a they're in the Wirral, which is near Liverpool in in the UK. They have an office here in in um, you know in America in in New York City. Um, they they don't bill by time at, at all. Um, they, most of they use technology wonderfully. They um, have longer-term retainer agreements with their with their clients, um, so they're certainly um, one disruptor. One of the issues here, was, well, I think, is a, um, a limitation on the potential for law firms to really do things differently. Is that, as distinct from Australia and also the UK. Law firms can only be owned and, and run by lawyers. Now, I'm a lawyer or an ex-lawyer myself, but it doesn't always follow that just because I'm the most brilliant lawyer that I'm the most, you know, that I'm the best business person or the best person to run, uh, to run my law firm, quite frankly. We can have chief executive offices both in Australia and in the UK that uh, are not lawyers. We can share profits with with non-lawyers. As Ron, you and Ed would probably know, Australia had the first law firm that publicly listed on the on the stock exchange, um, and we've now got three of them in Australia. And the UK went through um, what they call alternative business structures over there, which allowed not just the traditional partnership but a whole range of you know, more corporatised model for the delivery of legal services, which I think is benefiting clients. Here, there are still quite monumental restrictions uh, on the, the, the practice of law. And that's going to be interesting, I think, from North America, how that unfolds over the next few years. There's sort of raging discussion and debate as to um, whether it should just be lawyers that run run law firms, the argument being that if you allow these terrible, horrible, in inverted commas, non-lawyers to run law firms, they're, they're unethical or they're only um, interested in money or uh, benefiting shareholders as distinct from benefiting their clients, all those sorts of, of arguments are being um, run against opening up or more liberalising the, the profession. Uh, so that's that's part of what I'm talking about here in why I'm, why I'm in the states, um, which is which is interesting. So not only probably do I get run out of my country in Australia for talking about 
getting rid of timesheets in the billable hour. That's likely to happen to me in, a, in America talking about... We're not going to let you back in the country, John. Some non-lawyers are just as good as lawyers to run, run law firms. After all, um, to my knowledge, at least in Australia, um, I know the doctors do the surgery um, in hospitals, but the hospitals aren't run by the doctors. They're run by right. professional experts. You know, in my first book, I mean, I can remember uh, being all over this. I was a big believer in the whole multidisciplinary practice, and I thought for sure it was it was going to happen across the U.S. But then, of course, we had Sarbanes-Oxley and Enron and all of that, and it kind of just shut it down. And uh, it is going to be interesting to see if it ever opens up where a law firm can go public you know, an IPO. But given that, John, the other thing I'm noticing in the legal profession that I wanted to get your take on is, at least, and, and I don't keep as good track of it as you do, but I have seen at least three or four dozen firms that have a chief pricing officer. And these are larger firms. We're not talking smaller firms. These are pretty sizable firms. And I know there's some in Australia and, and in Canada, but there seems to be quite a few here. What has been your experience with the pricers in these firms? Mm. Um, very good question because I just came from meeting with, with a pricer and at the conference I attended in Nash, Nashville, there were some prices speaking. Um, it's interesting, Ron, I have to say and uh, that some of them I read about and speak with, they're more financial analysts than prices. Uh, and I think pricing for some is just a, a sexy name. Um, that they're, they're cost accountants and drag. Yeah, yeah, very much. <laughs> that. Now, you know, having said that, they have to meet within the firm's existing measurement and reward system, which is mainly that, you know, that still it's the we sell time. So I think that has... Now, there are the odd one where you've got, you know, doing some good stuff, but what we would consider the value pricing... I haven't come across certainly many mainstream or traditional law firms that are really doing uh, value-based pricing and not many of the prices that I've spoken to either here in Australia, um, with a couple of, of marked exceptions, uh, are really into to value-based pricing. They're, they're into a whole range of which, Ron, to take your, is really the sort of, they're into fixed fees and those sorts of things and, and cap fees and but a lot of it is, I have to say, just the billable hours in drag, and that's because it still has to fit within the law firm business model, and that is that we sell time. Right. So these guys aren't really driving the, the seminal change that we kind of thought they would. They're just kind of doing what they do a little bit better. Look, uh, yeah, I, I think it's more... And, and don't get me wrong, they get, they, they're giving more confidence to, to, to people in the firm being able to hold the line on price. But just to give you an example, I was looking at some software um, the other day, which Ron and Ed would have done your head in because it had all the realisation rates and all that. So, you know, it's meant to be pricing software. To me, it was really, you know, it, it was really all the time entry um, 
entry stuff. But, you know, the, the second line had, you know, percentage discount. <laughs> percentage discount. So you can put in your percentage discount. You know, some firms have two rates. The rack rate or the hourly rate that we'd like to get when, say, some firms, I think quite a few firms, and then there's the, the discounted rate. Um, not, not here's the rack rate and here's the... <laughs> Uh, even if it, you know the the add-on rate that we can get because we're doing a fantastic job or the success fee or whatever, so <laughs> it, it's automatically discount. I think I just came from a restaurant and I I, I looked at the bill and it had tip. It didn't have discount. Didn't have discount. So <laughs> restaurants can do it. Why can't law firms? But I so I thought. Well, John, yeah. I think you went to a baseball game while you were in Chicago. Does this mean now you're a convert from cricket to baseball? Ron, um, <laughs> we, we could talk cricket all day long, as as you know. But no, I did go. I did go to um, a baseball game yesterday. I went to Wrigley Field, and I had a thoroughly enjoyable time. Mainly because I was sitting in the right right behind the dugout, so I got to see it. Um, I got to see it all for the whole three runs that were scored the whole afternoon. Awesome. So not quite cricket because we would have taken five days for, for right, that. Right, you'd still be there. <laughs> well, John, this has been great. We need to take another break. And, folks, we'd like to remind you that you can catch our show notes now at thesoulofenterprise.com. And you can still contact Ed or myself at tsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Azamba. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. What if you could close more business with less effort and do it faster? What could your people accomplish if they had their own personal assistant keeping track of meetings and reminding them of follow-ups? What would it mean to have a perfect view of what your team and your prospects and your customers are doing? What if you could run your business from anywhere? You can have it all. Visit www.azamba.com forward slash soul today to find out how. That's azamba, A-Z-A-M-B-A dot com forward slash soul. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We have John Chisholm with us today, and John, I'm going to involve you in our free riding today. We're going to we're going to free ride here, and and I'm going to bring up some various topics, throw them out for both you and Ron to comment on. And I have one that's 
I know it might be particularly interesting to you because uh, we, we are, in addition to both fans of sports where the defense holds the ball, uh, we are also fans of coffee. So have you had the experience of having the flat white yet at Starbucks here in North America? Oh, boy. <sighs> no, I know it's been very, very tempting for the 3,000 Starbucks I have passed on my journeys. I did have an excellent coffee though in new york it's called bluestone lane and it's owned and run by australians <laughs> <laughs> that figures you are john, oh, thinks, gosh. john thinks starbucks is a milk distributor not a coffee house so. you gotta try the flat white at starbucks you've got to right, promise me that, that somewhere in this journey you try at least one it's 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 not australian i'll give you that but you know what it's it's pretty good Okay, I will certainly give you some feedback. I promise I'll do that before I leave your shores. All right, Ron, you're up. Oh, boy. Okay, Ed. Well, this is from the May 22nd issue of Personnel Today, and it's an article by a business journalist by the name of Vicki Arnstein. And guess what she's talking about? Row. Wow. And specifically Row in the UK and how it is starting to take Root in the UK. Uh, there's a company over there called UK Service Provider uh, Compass Point Business Services, which started its own road journey in 2011. And they are a representative of Culture RX. So I guess they've gone through Jody and Kaylee's uh, certification program. So they're helping other firms uh, do row. Um, half of their of Compass Point's 240 employees are now working this way, and the remainder will convert this year. And, Ed, there's a company called the um, BNY Mellon. It's a financial investment company. It has 50,000 employees globally, and they have piloted a row in one of its branches in Poole, Dorset, uh, with 250 employees. And the results have been positive so far, and they're going to keep going. And the article goes on to just to talk about how the biggest adaptation and, and uh, it required is by the middle managers. And the other thing it points out is uh, one of the biggest challenges in making, especially in the transition phase, is the people who aren't in the pilot group, right, because they want to be. Um, and they say that that's kind of good in some ways because it makes them want to cheer for every, you know, for the success of the pilot group. Um, and the, there, and there's a couple other companies they talk about making this transition as well. O2, the, the I think the cellular, uh, agency over there is making the move. And, um, I, I was just really impressed. And of course, the one who, who they had to go to to cold, to throw cold water on this, John, you'll like this too, was a guy from, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Ed, you'll love this. Here's what he says. He says, um, is there a risk that companies are going to lose a component that, that, you know, that drives their culture? He's worried about, you know, you're not going to be able to chat around the, the, the water fountain and that type of thing. He said, so he advises that companies considering uh, a row should have a, a once a month, at least mandatory meeting where people have to be physically present uh, or ha have everybody in the office one day per week. And it's like, yeah, just leave it to PricewaterhouseCoopers to come up with, you know, throwing water on a, on a row. But uh, I, I just love it. I mean, I, I'd really like to talk to uh, Jody and Callie about this, but I'm really impressed. It's starting to take root in the UK. That's great. 
that's fantastic. Could have been worse. They could have gone to their lawyers. They would have got pages of uh, <laughs> risk management of why they they shouldn't have shouldn't shouldn't go to row. Right. What do they call it in the UK? John Health and Safety or something regulations or whatever. But yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. yeah, well, let, just leave it to that because clearly they don't understand the principles of row because once you say the words mandatory meaning, you're no longer row. Thank uh, you. <laughs> Thanks for playing. <laughs> I, oh, I love it. I love it. That's a, <laughs> and, and there's also a professor, too, they found who said, well, you know, this has got it. It's a professor, Frank Weijen, uh from Rotterdam School of Management. And he says, well, there are dangers to me- only measuring output. And I'm like, yeah, okay, compared to what? The the, the dangers of measuring inputs and, and other useless things. So uh, overall, though, very, very positive articles. I, I was really impressed. Uh, Outstanding. So That's great. My, I, I think the – I have to say in the legal profession, my sense is that the the annual performance review is, is still alive and well. Yeah, unfortunately. <clears throat> well, well, the good news is yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to post that article on, on as part of our show notes, Ron, so that people can well, get a look at it because it's that's a fan, fantastic news. And, and we'll maybe even even uh, shout out to our friends Callie and Jody over at, at uh, Culture Rx. So that's that's really great. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I'm up. You're up, Ed. All right. We still got some time. So I was in the Apple store. <laughs> which Uh-oh. you know is kind of a hobby yep. at, of, of mine at this point and you're wearing I, a watch now no no i'm not wearing a watch not yet not yet All right. not yet because you couldn't want you couldn't walk away with one but uh with regard to the apple watch i did notice something that i think is significant the you know there's the three versions right there's the apple there's the there's the, the apple watch sport right which is the low end that's the 350 dollars one uh, plus you know plus or minus if you wanted a, a nicer band for it and then there's just the apple watch which is the mid price right and then there's the the last the high end which is called the apple watch edition which i think is a silly name but that's beside the point i will say this though ron they are not doing charm pricing on the apple watch edition it's actually a nice even $17,000 and it was good that my my son Sean came along and said, "You know, I, I don't need the $17,000 one, dad." It's <laughs> <laughs> now either are they charming the lower level yes. ones? Yes. So still? we're still we're still charming on the lights th- still 349 or 339 or whatever for the 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 both the low end which is the sport and then the one that's just called the Apple Watch. Those are those are charm priced as well. But once you get to the high end, the edition one, not charm priced anymore john you're a recent well not recent you've been using apple now for a few years right so are you gonna get an apple watch i haven't got an apple watch yet although i did have my photo taken in front of the apple store in new york city and as my wife karen (laughs) says apple is my real family and my children (laughs) are just my second family i spend more time with um, the apple family than i do with my real one but I have to say, I have, and this is part of, it's just sort of weird things ex-lawyers do, but I've not worn a watch since I've been on this journey and the value pricing journey, and it's, so I can't even bring myself to wear an Apple Watch. That's how much yeah. I think it's time. <laughs> 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I never, I never have worn a watch, John. I mean, per se, I mean, I've had, had one, I think I got one as a graduation gift from high school or something and, and can't remember ever wearing it in college. Surprise, surprise. And, and never, never really took, but, but I'm thinking about the watch, not because I want to know what time it is, because I can always just whip out my phone, but I, I like some of the other, the other features on there. I think the, the health thing, and I want to just get the, the experience of that to see if that it ha- it makes a difference. So, yeah, yeah you- I, I tell you what I did find the other day when I went into, when I landed in LA to get a US, uh, SIM card, um, I found a phone that just made telephone calls. Re- remember those? Remember <laughs> mobile phones that just made telephone Isn't calls? Isn't there an app for that? <laughs> oh, I couldn't believe it. Something <laughs> revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm reminded of the uh, Muppets. You know, there was a there was a, a segment of one of the Muppet movies where where Kermit gets a job in advertising somehow, and and he comes up with the following slogan for this soap, right? And here was the slow the, here was the slogan: "Buy our soap, it gets you clean." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Muppet Show. Okay, All right, then. Ron, we got two minutes left, so you got to throw one out now. Okay, I'm going to throw a real quick one at at you, but I am just um, I'm just thrilled over this. Daimler showed off its new autonomous truck in uh, its first licensed in the world to drive on public roads in guess where Nevada. And Ed uh, Daimler thinks that the autonomous truck, the driverless truck, will hit the the market before driverless cars because, of course, they spend more time on public roads and that type of thing. But it looks like these guys are on target to really put out and market and sell autonomous cars. I mean, this is coming, and that's really kind of exciting. Yeah, it truly is. I, I I do think they're right with the with the with the the truck because effectively what you're now doing is you're turning the entire nation's highways into a train system. So you don't have to follow along train routes, right? You can just go along the 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 existing highway system in in packed you know tight knit convoys that you know like the the old seventies song. And but but in this case they can go 120 miles an hour, especially if they're given access or special access to that that uh, left-hand lane and and really make a, a big difference on things. So, cool stuff. Yeah. Does that mean we're going to see the end of trucky music? <laughs> it could be. Yeah, it could be. You know, David Allen Coe will have to rewrite, you know, you don't have to call me by my name and write out trucks because now country music wouldn't be able to revert to trucks anymore. But uh, <laughs> So there's another society, yet another societal impact of uh, of the driverless vehicle. All right. Well, we are uh, up against our, our final break here. And thanks very much for listening today. And thanks, John, for being here. Hopefully you can stay for the, the last segment. But we are if you want to get a hold of us, please email us at TSOE at Verisage.com. And of course, hashtag ask TSOE on Twitter. And we do monitor that. So please get a hold of us. But right now we're going to take our last break and hear from my employer, Sage. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Four new employees, a 20% increase in revenue. 
being one of the 9 million women business owners in the U.S. These are your proudest numbers, your landmarks of growth and success. Sage helps you achieve business milestones with cloud and software solutions that lead to deeper financial insights. Believe in your numbers. See what Sage can do for your business. Visit believeinyournumbers.com today. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. the soul of enterprise uh free rider friday and i hope the new bumper music is you're enjoying that we got uh, did some work on that and of course the new website the soul of please feel free to check it out and let us know we love to hear your comments uh, at the top you can click on the little email there and that will direct an email to both ron and myself so please check out the new website and be and keep those reviews coming on itunes hey ron i got a two that i want to to throw out at you two different ideas and they're really a, a variation on the same theme one is the taxi medallion owners getting all upset over the dramatic decrease in the value of these taxi medallions because of services like uber and lyft and then the other one is the 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 you know the the lawsuits that are happening right now in the d- different states with uh, Tesla, who are trying to do, of all things, ready, Ron, sell cars directly to <sighs> consumers. I know. That would be, uh, that would be awful. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> we can't have that. So, and well, just, and just great the, examples of public choice theory, right? We did the show we did a couple weeks ago on, on rent-seeking. I, absolutely. I had the taxi medallion one in my stack, too. So you kind of stole my thunder on that. But, you know, if you my heart bleeds for these guys, like in Chicago, the medallion sale price uh, dropped from what was it about 70,000? <clears> you know, it was about 70 grand in 2007. It was three hundred and fifty seven thousand dollars in 2013 to buy a medallion. And now it's dropped to about two hundred seventy thousand. And of course, they're blaming this on Uber <clears throat> and Ed. What I find interesting about this is Uber's response to this is it's it's not the consumers that are causing the dry drop of the medallion price because the consumers really had nothing to do with medallion value anyway. It's because potential drivers are finding other opportunities. Mm-hmm. So taxis can't find drivers anymore. They're all going to Lyft and Uber and things like this. So, you know, these guys talking about the the uh, taxi cab medallions, especially in New York, that hit a peak of 1.2 million. And now they're falling 
you know, my heart bleeds. I read this story and, <laughs> and, and, and all I could, you know, I wrote, I, I wrote a comment on the side of this thing. I said, this is all about bootleggers. There's no Baptists in this story. They're all bootleggers, these taxi cabs, and they're, they're suing Uber, they're suing Lyft, they're, you know, they're going nuts. They're saying, oh, they're not subject to the same regulations. And they're, they're, they're inflating every story of every time there's a, you know, something bad happens in a in an Uber car. Well, I can tell, I can personally recount dozens of horror stories from taxi cabs. Mm-hmm. You know, right, right, so, right. Well, I, 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 I think they're trying to like, enlist a Baptist. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying yeah, to enlist yeah. a Baptist. Who are the Baptists going to be? I, I, I don't, I don't. Good luck. Good luck. Well, pe- people, people who are you know against uh, I don't know victimization of of women and fraud and all of that stuff. I, you know that that that's who they're trying. That's who they're trying to enlist here as as Baptists. They do. They have some journalists who are on that theme. There you go. And and but I do, you know I don't think it's working. Everybody who's used Uber loves it. In fact, did you see where the Senate in Nevada passed legislation to allow people to get a car from their smartphones? Amen. John, yeah. what do you think of all this? Yeah, we have Uber in, Uber in Australia, but it's not as quite as popular, certainly as it is over here. The price differentiation is not as marked as it is here. And whilst I've been away, I noticed there was a, the Australian tax office had some ruling to tax Uber drivers. I haven't read the details, but I know there's certainly the taxi companies have been, you know, pushing back all the same arguments here. I use Uber all the time when I come to the to the States. I can't think of having a bad experience. I I love it. Even when there's a surge in price, I get to make a decision as to whether I'm going to, you know, pay that surge price or or wait or, or not. I have to say, because I was with colleagues in New York City, um, I had occasions to or we just grabbed a cab um, one, uh, the cab driver, I, I felt for my safety and it was a dirty cab. The other one, the cab driver got pu- pulled over by the New York Police Department for um, uh, <laughs> crossing, um, crossing lines without giving and he proceeded to argue with um, the nice policeman, which I gather you don't really do in all the time. Our three colleagues were sitting in the back of the cab way. Um, he had a big argument with the policeman, which of course did no good, and he copped a fine and plus some demerit points. When we did restart our journey, all we heard from the cab driver is, you know, what this is going to uh, do to um, do to his business. He won't be able to drive cabs because he um, he's lost his demerit points. Um, it, we had nothing to do with it. it. Seemed to me it was his fault. We did suggest he could go to a lawyer who would bill him by the hour if he wanted to um, <laughs> you know, argue the case in, in court. Uh, well, but, well, yeah. well, John, you know, another business, too, that gets it just like Uber and Lyft is Airbnb, and I know you use them. You you use them for your, your, your New York stay, haven't you? What's been your experience with Airbnb? Yeah, look, again, I've I use Airbnb as much as I can. I love it. It was quite interesting though and for obvious reasons I won't say the uh, address but the one that I used in in New York um, the owner was uh, very made very sure that I don't talk to anyone else uh, in the building even the the blind man in the building 
um, because um, you know there there is this thing against um, Airbnb, particularly in in New York City, apparently, and yet in other other states and other places where I've used it, it seems to be much more acceptable and much more open. And you know, I I love it. But uh, certainly, that was just my recent experience in uh, in New York City about Airbnb. It's it's either under attack or it's uh, you know, having to be done under substitute uh, subdiffuse. Right. I, well, I think this genie's out of the bottle, so there's no way to put it back in. But John, thank you so much for spending some time with us here today, oh, sharing great. your thoughts. Well, to, to be here. Been, Thanks for giving me this. Been awesome to have another Verisage colleague on the show. We're trying to make our way through all the fellows. But uh, where can folks find you, real quick? Well, they can find me at www.chisconsult.com, um, and um, love to you know speak or hear from anyone. And just if if you're not a lawyer but you're um, uh, using legal services don't fall for the, the old trap of paying um, by the hour after your <laughs> law firm your lawyer for a price up front excellent well, and if they can't God. give it to if they can't give it to you go to a law firm who, who can who can <laughs> well thanks John this has been great and Ed what's on store for next week well, next week, Ron, we are back up with another one of our theme shows, and then this one is going to be Entrepreneur Heaven. We're going to talk about Charles Revson, uh, Watson. Uh, uh, I can't think of uh, Watson. What's his first name? Yeah, I can't, yeah uh, I, I, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, <laughs> we're stuck with Watson. Steve Jobs, I know that one, yep. and also Mary Mary Kay Ash. So we're going to talk about our the th- four entrepreneurs in heaven, and I will see you in 167 hours. Excellent. Thanks, Ed. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, supporting small and medium-sized businesses by creating greater freedom for them to succeed. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific for Entrepreneur Heaven. We'll be profiling another four entrepreneurs from history. And in the meantime, check out our new website, thesoulofenterprise.com. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 